Sorry, got to shift a few things around. There we go. So, hey, I'm Matt. Um, I was on staff at Revolution, which is uh, another church plant, a, a couple years older than Rev and then Restore. Uh, we're in Annapolis, Maryland. If I kind of like go off on random tangents or look like I'm real tired up here, Sarah and I led worship at Restore this morning, and then I went to the Apple store and got a lot of bad news and then came here. Uh, so that's kind of my, been my day so far. Uh, now I work for an organization called Stadia, uh, which helps to plant churches. In fact, Stadia was one of the organizations that partnered with Aaron and Carrie uh, when they decided to plant Restore uh, and supported them in the uh, pre-launch phase of this church and then uh, continue to provide ongoing support in various ways, uh, even, even now. Um, I'm not usually the speaker at church. When I was on staff at Revolution, my title was executive pastor. I was the person who uh, handled the finances and uh, made sure that volunteers were being supported and in the places that they were supposed to be at the right times. Uh, but I, I've started speaking more and I'm really passionate about a few subjects. So Aaron graciously gave me the opportunity to come and talk to you about one of them and that's joy. Um, I'm a pretty disciplined person. So when I was, 14 or so, I decided it would be cool to smoke cigarettes. So I started smoking when I was 14 on and off and now I'm, I just turned 37. And I've had phases of not smoking for a long time, but this year I, just, I was having a conversation with my daughter and who's 10 and I don't think she knows that I smoke, but like she knows that smoking is bad. And she had this, we had this lengthy conversation about how smoking is bad in May. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it up. So May 20th, I, I decided I'm, I'm not gonna smoke anymore. So I haven't smoked at all since May 20th. And um, I have these disciplines to keep myself accountable to that. So if you look at my hand, every morning I write 520 on my left index finger uh, with a Sharpie. And as I wash my hands incessantly over the course of the day, it tends to fade. And if it gets fully gone, I'll, I'll rewrite it. But it helps me think about that. It helps me have the discipline to do that. Uh, I'm an avid runner. I'm training for a half marathon. I'm going to run uh, at the end of this month. And it takes a lot of training and a lot of discipline to, to do that race. Now, I'm a slow runner, so if you ever want a running companion, if you're getting to start, I'm happy to run with you. I can run for a long time, but I don't go out there very fast. Uh, I like to read, so I especially like to read about you know, what I do for work. I work in marketing, so I read a lot of marketing things. And I love to read the Bible, so I, I try to be disciplined about reading the Bible. And what's interesting about disciplines is that there's some disciplines that's really easy to explain the, the, the how and difficult to explain the why. And when we talk about spiritual vitality, I think there's some obvious ones that Toya just talked about giving and generosity. Generosity uh, is difficult to explain to people sometimes why that's important to your spiritual health. But if I can convince you that that's important to your spiritual health, teaching you how to develop generosity as a discipline is pretty simple. You, you develop generosity by being generous. And the more you're generous, the easier it becomes, and the more second nature it becomes to be a generous person. Same with praying. Uh, it might take me a little bit to convince you that prayer is important for your spiritual vitality. But if I can convince you of that, teaching you how to have that discipline by just doing it and making a habit of it is pretty self-explanatory. Joy, joy is a different one, right? So we talk about joy as a discipline sometimes, but you don't joy by 
by joying, right? It's easy for me to explain to you that joy is important because all of us want to feel joy. All of us understand what that emotion is, but how we get there is difficult. In fact, yeah, joying, by the way, is an actual word. If you type it into the dictionary, you'll find it. Uh, it basically means the same thing as enjoying, but it makes joy sound like a verb, and then you're like, I don't, I'm not sure how to use joy as a verb. Um, have you ever been told to, you know, and been in a tight spot or a tough situation and been told to choose joy? I've definitely been told to choose joy before. Choose love. Sometimes you hear that as well. This falls into a similar category. I, I think that's terrible advice because it's useless. I mean, when I'm in a bad spot, you might as well tell me to be a billionaire. Now, there's a whole lot of steps between where I am as a, you know, a 37-year-old in ministry to being a billionaire, right? So it's, it's difficult to explain when I'm in a tough spot and you tell me to just choose joy. It's like, yeah, but how? How do I get there? All right, maybe, maybe you're different than me. Maybe that does work for you and you get in a tough spot and you just say, all right, I'm going to choose to be happy in this spot. And if that's the case, then you, I invite you to check out for the next 25 minutes. Uh, that's fine with me. I, I won't judge you. But if you're like me, uh, and I think most of you probably are, that's a, that's a difficult Thing to find yourself in. You know, I, I tend to be an anxious person. Um, I have ADHD and my brain is always racing on different things. But I know that joy is an emotion that can push back anxiety and can push back fear. And over time, despite kind of a <coughs> gruff voice, like I always joke, I don't sing because this is the only note that God gave me. Um, and, you know, a resting, grumpy face. Uh, I'm a pretty joyful, I'm, I am a pretty joyful person. I think I'm a pretty joyful person. And the reason I'm passionate about that is because I want other people to be able to experience that as well. And so that's what I'm gonna talk about today. Like how do we get to this place where joy becomes more second nature to us? And I think while developing joy by joying isn't a thing or choosing joy isn't a thing, there are some disciplines that we can develop that the outcome is joy. So joy is an outcome of certain disciplines and certain uh, mindsets in different situations. So in the Bible, uh, we're going to kick right into the Bible. In the 11th book of the New Testament, Philippians, uh, it's a letter from Paul to the Church of Philippi, a community that he'd helped start on a previous visit. Uh, you know, he'd if you don't know about Paul, Paul traveled all over the place starting new churches. Uh, I think church planters especially, I think all you know, people who have been in the church for a long time resonate with some of Paul's messages. But church planters especially, I think, res uh, resonate with Paul because he's a serial church planter. He just planted church, and he moved to another town. He started a church. He moved to another town, started a church. He went to jail and started churches in jail. Um, and in fact, when he wrote this letter, he was in prison. Uh, the reason he was in prison is leaders at that time were fearful that if people found faith that they would, and followed Jesus, it would disrupt their hold on power. So they started imprisoning people like Paul that were telling people to follow Jesus. And I don't think anyone would associate being in prison with joy. And yet in Philippians 1, uh, starting in verse 18, it says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. 
yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, and again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Paul's in, in prison talking about how he's going to rejoice. I haven't, I haven't personally been to prison, praise God, though I've made some choices when I was younger that could have led to jail. Um, I, I do visit my brother-in-law who's in jail, and it's not a particularly joy-filled place. And if a 21st century prison is not a joy-filled place, for sure a 1st century prison was not a joy-filled place. Praise. And yet, Paul has this supernatural joy. He talks about rejoicing. He talks about having joy. He talks about seeing the joy in other people and celebrating that. So how did he do that? He didn't just choose joy. I think he disciplined, or he, he cultivated very specific disciplines in his life to get to that point. I'm not going to get super intellectual or hyper-spiritual. I'm not smart enough for that. So I'm just going to like take some things that I can read straight out of Philippians and a couple other places in the Bible that Paul did that cultivated this uh, tendency towards joy uh, and safeguarded him against the things that conspire to steal joy from you. So the first one of those, we're just going to go through a list. First one of those is kill, kill your cynicism. I think cynicism is... Major, a major issue in our current culture. I think it's stealing people's joy more than so many things in our modern Western world. So cynicism is defined as an inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interests. It means that we believe that the people around us are only interested in themselves, which means they only care about you insofar as it will impact them. We, we live in a culture that values cynicism. If you look at your social media feed later, don't, please don't do that right now. Um, if you look at your social media uh, feed, it's, it's overwhelmingly filled with, with cynicism and vitriol, whether it's politics or whether it's issues with their family or whatever. You turn on the 24-hour news cycle, it's, it, they sell advertisements based on cynicism. It's a value in our culture is to be cynical. And we sell it as this self-protection. Well, if, we, if we're cynical about their motives, it protects us from being hurt by them. We, 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 create, this, we create this us, this isolation. And the problem is, is with cynicism is that we, we look at them as being selfish, but the reality is when we become cynical, we're being selfish because we're protecting us. We've created this us and we've created it of them. The us are people who behave like us and, and believe the things that are like-minded like to us, and the them are the people who believe differently, and we isolate ourselves from them. The reality is, is all of us are principally concerned with ourselves. You know, I think we could sit here and say that that's not true, but I think if we do an honest evaluation, like your first priority a lot of the time is gonna be you. Humans are wired that way for better or for worse. But there's ways to break that down and be more the way that God designed us to be. We don't have to believe the, the lie of cynicism that joy is this fossil fuel that might run out, so I gotta protect mine. If you feel joy, then I won't get enough. That's not true. 
Paul feels joy because others experience joy. In the, the beginning of this chapter, the same chapter we were just in, Philippians 1, uh, verse 7, he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And he goes on to say, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Paul isn't bitter while he's in jail. He's not saying to his friends, like, hey, if you really cared about me, you'd be in here with me. He doesn't accuse people who are joyful on the outside of being out to get him. And he doesn't say that he has joy, uh, or what he does say is he has joy whether he's in chains or not, because he knows that the motivations of the Philippians is to share the story of Jesus and not to steal, our jo- not to steal joy or authority from Paul or anyone else. The best tool I have in my life for destroying cynicism is my small group. So I believe you guys have missional communities uh, here, which are groups that meet outside of now to discuss life and to be on mission together. Well, our church does a similar thing. We call them local revolutions. So it's like a local version of the larger church. And my group is incredibly diverse. We have people uh, in all ranges of age from very early 20s to early 60s. We have people of uh, all different races and socioeconomic conditions. It would be a great and very easy place to stratify into the us and the them, but it's not the purpose there, so you don't, you don't do it. And the more you become accustomed to not stratifying people in that group, the easier it gets to come into new groups and not stratify people into the us and them. So if you're not involved in a, a missional community or, or some sort of diverse community, your ability to fight cynicism is going to be much more difficult because you don't have a them to compare yourself to, to understand and to love. So I would ask, what are you doing? What group are you in where you can find... Uh, yourself intentionally interacting with people who find joy in places other than where you find it. All right, second, second, uh, second principle we can learn from Paul is practice gratitude. Right at the beginning of Paul's letter to the, Philippi, uh, the church in Philippi, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Wait, there's, there's a lot more. He, this guy is a very thankful person. He says, uh, and when he's talking to the church in Rome, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And the message, uh, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, uh, his greeting in the first letter to the church in Corinth says, every time I think of you, and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives of free and open access to God given by Jesus. Second letter to Corinthians, he says, may all the gifts and benefits that come from God our Father the master, Jesus Christ, be yours. In the letter to the Colossians, he says, we, thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. First Thessalonians, we always thank God. Second Thessalonians, we ought always to thank God for you. Second letter to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Letter to Philemon, or Philemon, or however you pronounce that name. Uh, I, thank, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Like, Paul had gratitude down. Like, he was good. He was good at gratitude. I think there's some science that backed this up, too. It's not just something to read in the Bible. There's modern science. So in 2015, I found this article that's a real, truly fascinating article uh, by an author 
or a psychologist named Dr. Melanie Greenberg. It's a published article on Psychology Today Industry Magazine. It says, uh, feeling, feeling and expressing gratitude turns our mental focus to the positive, which, co which compensates for our brain's natural tendency to focus on threats, worries, and the negative aspects of life. Remember when I said we're, we're wired, our, our natural tendency is to be self-concerned, so we're thinking about the things that could threaten us and the things that can worry about us? Well, science shows that gratitude turns our mental focus away from that, and as such, she goes on to say, as such, gratitude creates positive emotions like joy, love, and contentment, which research shows can undo the grip of negative emotions like anxiety. For me, that's like huge breath of fresh air. Uh, I started to dealing with anxiety on a pretty major basis when I was probably 17 or 18, right before I went to college. I started going to a counselor um, and you know different doctors and things on and off since that time. And seeing, seeing that there's this that there's a tool that I can cultivate to push that back is really encouraging. But even that requires a certain amount of discipline. But this one's again one of those ones that's kind of easy to explain. Like, how do you develop the discipline of gratitude? You demonstrate gratitude. You be gracious. You be grateful. I think there's some easy ways to do that. Some of you probably already do these things. Develop a routine of being gracious. Uh, in my job for Stadia, state, I work at home. Uh, we, we're a 100% virtual organization, so scattered all over the country. And we deal a lot with video conferences and emails. And so I, I'm, I probably spend 15 to 20 hours a week on video conferences, and I probably get in the neighborhood of about 150 to 200 emails every day. Uh, it, it feels crazy sometimes, but it's been my life for the last five years, so I don't worry about it. But the way that I hold off the anxiety of being on these calls and while I'm on these calls being inundated by emails and you know, watch that, you know, you watch that badge on your Mac, you have like five, 10, 25, I'm like, stop, stop that. Um, by, I try to be gracious in those. So I try to, especially with my team, when it's one of my calls that I'm leading, I try to start every call thanking people for taking the time to meet with me, even though knowing like I'm their boss and they don't have much of a choice. Um, but I also try to end emails with thank you. I try to show gratitude and everything. Um, I was talking to a colleague recently who on his email signature, it ends thanks and then his name and, it, and it's programmed into his, his email. So like it, it's automatic. And I was like, man, that would be really convenient. I wouldn't have to write my little greeting at the end or citation at the end. And then I was like, no, I actually need to write that because it, it helps me stay focused on actually being grateful. It doesn't become this, uh, the show, it actually becomes actual gratitude. Another place that a lot of people uh, have a practice of gratitude is really easy to ins insert gratitude is while you're when you eat. So you know you might have grown up in a family where you say grace. I grew up in uh, a family where we said grace every single time we ate, and it was always the exact same grace, but it still helped us to focus in. And now with my family, uh, I have two kids downstairs, and my wife's at home working on a project and. We try to take time right before we eat together to just th be thankful for this meal. And what's, what's interesting about this as I was writing this is like, man, I wanna make sure that I'm including people that aren't on the same kind of faith place that I'm at. And I was thinking about this one in particular, like grace is kind of seems like a weird thing if you're not, if you're not, didn't grow up in the church or like aren't, aren't used to what grace is. But, but man, if you, think about, if you think about this, about your food, you could be, if you're not, if you don't believe in anything, you can still be grateful for this food. The fact that we have food on our table is crazy. 
Like, the hamburger I had for dinner used to be a cow. Like, it got all the way to my plate and without me having to do anything horrible. So other people did that stuff. That's awesome. I'm grateful, really grateful for that. Or like, at the school where we have church this morning, um, they have all these elevated gardens out back, and they're, uh, they're growing tomatoes. It's like, this is a seed like this, and now it's this huge plant with, that, with sunlight and water. That's crazy. You could be thankful for that, whether you believe in God or not. And that'll, that'll help develop that sense of gratitude, which helps push, push back on anxiety. All right, third one. I'm going to call it, it says tune into others on here. That's because it's from a, a ser- sermon series that we did at Revolution. But here, here's what that means. It's very similar to killing your cynicism, or killing your cynicism is reactive. Cynicism is like a reaction you have to somebody else's behavior. This one is more about being proactive about investing in other people. So you make other people's joy uh, your priority rather than making your joy their priority in a proactive way. So, so where, how I came to this personally was uh, in May of 2009, I was living in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and I was a manager at a human resources and compliance call center. Uh, I'd been working there for six years. I'd gone up the ranks, uh, started as an operator, took 12,000 calls, and then ended up as a manager there. Anyway, uh, that year, May of 2009, we got, our company got bought out and my entire our entire office in Fredericksburg got laid off. And I freaked out. Uh, I had a eight-month-old at home, um, you know, trying to figure out how I was going to continue to support the family. Um, my wife actually worked there as well. She was an operator at the time, so, like, all of our income went away really quickly. And we haven't learned our lesson because of diversification because Becky works for Stadia now, too. So hopefully they don't go out of business anytime. Um, so I went into this crazy panic, and you know, I was worried about how I'm going to pay my mortgage, how I'm going to take care of my daughter, you know, what are people going to think of me, the crazy things. And I had this like knot in my stomach that ended up actually being an ulcer. <laughs> um, I started applying for jobs, and I, I don't know if you remember the job market in the late 2000s. It was real bad, real bad. Uh, so I applied for literally hundreds and hundreds of jobs. I, I, don't, I, did, I had a goal of applying for like 25 jobs a day. So I did, I did that. I didn't do much work for the call center at the time, and I didn't care because they were laying me off. <laughs> I don't recommend that. That was bad. <laughs> um, ended up getting, you know, ended up getting uh, some interviews out of that. But anyway, one day, my, one of my coworkers, uh, Chip, who was also the lead guitar player for a band that I played with on and off at the time, and I were outside at the call center um, just getting some fresh air and... Uh, people watching the crazy neighbors and he said to me watching me not freak out during this layoff had been really encouraging to him and really helping him not to freak out and he was like really grateful that I was providing that model and it was a really weird moment in my head I'm like I'm freaking I'm totally freaking out (laughs) Uh, but I didn't say it out loud and I had this like click moment of like oh wait Chip's feeling better and I could take a deep breath and be like, realize that it was giving me some tools to push back on my anxiety because I started thinking about him and not thinking about me. And that conversation on 
uh, I started to develop this philosophy that I carry all the time. And uh, it's that I, I need to think about what the outcome for other people is. And I, I knew in that situation that no matter what happened, God was going to be glorified in me after that moment. And then others would be able to find joy because of God being glorified in me. If I never got another job, my faithfulness would be an example to, to others about being faithful to God in difficult situations. If I did get another job, uh, my trust in him and his providence would be an example to others that God works in amazing ways in all situations. And I ended up getting a job and walking away, probably even more importantly, with a philosophy that truly is foundational to how I run my life. And it's focusing on the outcomes for other people rather than the outcomes for me. And this is, this, this is in Philippians as well. So in those verses we talked about earlier from Philippians, uh, the very first ones, Paul says uh, he was prim- he's primed to feel joy in those because he'd been teaching these people of Philippi to tell people about Jesus. And then when they did, there's this satisfaction because the outcome for them is, has improved or changed in a way that he had invested in them. So I'd say, who are you investing in? What opportunities are you not taking to stop focusing on yourself and focusing on other people that might be going through things that you've already been through or going through things along with you at the same moment? Again, back to that missional community thing, there's probably a lot of people in those groups you can relate to and meet in that way. All right, last one. Tomorrow is another day. Um, Learn the discipline of cultivating hope. If you haven't thought about creating disciplines that lead to joy, it's probably not going to be a light switch. Even, like, like I said earlier, I'm a generally joyful person. Generally, it still leaves some gaps, right? There are times when it, you, it's just not, you can't find it. You can't find that joy thing. But you've got to have this other, this secondary discipline, and that's hope. The last thing I want to happen today is people to leave here and be like, man, I do, I do all that stuff, and I, don't, I still don't feel joy. Uh, I don't feel it as easy as I would like to. I still feel de- defeated. I still feel numb. Um, we get that. I get that. I want you to leave here today knowing that you're not alone in that, and, uh, but there's a community that's around you that cares about you and wants to walk you through that and help you discipline, uh, develop these disciplines with you. Uh, when, when I when I feel when I struggle to feel joy, or if I'm experiencing circumstances that threaten to steal my joy, I work on hope. Sometimes it means I focus on the next thing. So, like in college, uh, when I was in college, I hate I hate taking tests. I still hate taking tests. Um, so I wouldn't focus on a test because it would create this level of anxiety that I couldn't manage. So what I would focus on is the Saturday after the test. I can remember really specifically my freshman year of college, spring semester, the Saturday after um, my final exams, I was going to see a Smashing Pumpkins concert. So that's all I thought about. I mean, I still studied, but like, it's the only thing I allowed my brain to like, rest on a lot. There's, this, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about kind of this looking forward, looking past the now to tomorrow. And uh, it's, in, it's in Psalm 30, and this is just a little tiny snippet of it, but it says, weeping may last the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. What, what can you do to focus on the morning and find hope even amidst the weeping of the night? If you're, if you're a follower of, <laughs> exactly. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, there's this even greater hope, right? So we have this this compassionate Savior. We have a Savior who wept with his friends when it, when a mutual friend died, uh, Lazarus, and then actually raised him from the grave in his grief because he uh, shared the pain of this loss with them. Uh, we have a Savior who, uh, like you know, like Toya said during the communion meditation, which was great, who uh, gives us hope in a life after death or beyond death. Uh, he gives us uh, hope that there's an end of grief and that what comes after, which is a, a renewed intimacy with God, is overflowing with joy. Our current trials don't have to lead us to despair uh, and they don't have to lead us to numbness, which I actually think is worse than despair. Uh, but they but we need to work on training ourselves to feel hope and then also work on these other disciplines together. In James 1, uh, the Bible says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I think that word perseverance could easily also be translated as hope. This, this verse sucks. Like, Consider a pure joy when you're going through trials, man. I hate this verse, but it's true. And the more you do it, the more you realize that that perseverance and that hope helps you have that pure joy. I'm gonna like one last thing is like if you're if you're still trying to figure out what the Jesus part of this is and how faith. So all these disciplines work whether you're Christian or not, right? But I think that when, if you're a Christian and you love Jesus and you're trying to follow him, it gives an extra peace because there's a longer, it's longer sighted. It's an eternal sight rather than a tomorrow sight. So if you're still trying to figure that out, uh, I, don't, I don't know this church as well as Revolution, obviously. Uh, but I, when I spoke this message at Revolution, I knew there are people in this church that were in Revolution that were thinking about I don't care. I don't, maybe I don't care, but I don't know anything about Jesus. So what, what is that? What is that? I'd love to have that conversation with you if you're in that place. Uh, I'm going to stick around. I'll stick around a little bit after service. I'd love to meet you and, and talk about how that relationship has been pretty foundational in uh, me overcoming a lot of anxiety and, and feeling joy and, and being able to access joy on a, on a more easy and regular basis. So let me pray for us. Um, and as we pray, uh, Molly, and Sarah, Molly and Sarah are going to come back up, and we're going to sing a new song. So um, I'm gonna, I'll put, when I'm done and put the microphone up there, I invite you guys to stand with us and sing along. This is a song that's new to you. It's, by, it's from a band in uh, Atlanta called House Fires, or a, a church band there. And it's just called Joy. Real simple lyrics. I think you'll pick it up pretty quickly. And I, I would love, like, if you don't, if you don't want to sing along, that's fine, but I'll encourage you to. Uh, yeah. Uh, but take some time to think about what of those things that you, you need to work on and which one you can work on first um, and start opening that doorway to joy and killing the things that are trying to steal it from you. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for Aaron and Carrie and the way that they've invested here.